have those verses handy because we're going to be uh, spending some time looking through uh, Jonah, as I mentioned, Jonah chapter 1. Uh, Jonah, <clears throat> uh, just in case you're, you're unfamiliar with the story, Jonah is a, is a man who is running from God. Uh, Jonah's a prophet of God, he knows God, but why is he running? Why is he going away from God? And so this book, uh, the book called Jonah, uh, continues and goes on to show how God goes to find this one who's running away from him. Uh, what God does to meet this person, to turn him around and bring him back to himself. And the reason why we're interested in the book of Jonah, particularly for these next four weeks as we sort of launch out into this new venue, is because I think there is something of, of Jonah in all of us in some way or other. Uh, and, and that really applies to you, I think, whether you consider yourself to be religious or non-religious or just not sure where you stand, there will be something that you can relate to as we uh, go through over the next few weeks, and particularly as we go through this uh, this morning. Uh, some of you will have experience of actively uh, running away from God. Uh, some of you uh, will, will spend a whole lifetime trying to get away from him. Uh, maybe you know people uh, in your own family circles who are just trying their hardest to run away from God. Why, why, why do people do that? Well, we'll be looking at that as we go through uh, the text. Because if the Bible is to be believed and understood, then it tells us that God is a God of love. Right? He's a God who gives life. He's a God who blesses people. So it makes no sense to run away from that. Why would anyone want to do that? So there's something, I think, that makes Jonah run away. There's something that makes us run away from God that drives us. And we'll be examining that and trying to figure out our place in the story over the next few weeks. We'll also be seeing what God does to us to bring us back to him, to give us mercy. Uh, so this morning, as we look through Jonah chapter 1, we're, we're, we're going to see, I suppose, four parts of the, the narrative, four parts of the story. We'll see, number one, the call. All right, number two, the runner. He does a runner. Uh, number three, the storm. And number four, the calm. The call, the runner, the storm, and the calm. Okay, first of all, the call. Uh, it says in verse 1, the word of the Lord came to Jonah. Right, that, that's, that's what you get when a, a word from God comes to a prophet. All right? And it's a message that God gives. And, and that message goes to the prophet. And he's to listen to it and then bring that to the people. That's how God did it in, in, the, in the old days. And um, does it still today, actually. But he did, he did that chiefly um, uh, in the ministry here of Jonah. Much, many, many people like him. He's a real person. He's mentioned in the history books of Israel. Um, and so he received this word from God. And that word is given in verse 2, or sort of a summary anyway. He says, Arise, this is God to <coughs> Jonah, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil, their great evil, has come up before me. And Nineveh is a, a, a significant city in the, the nation of Assyria, um, it's a powerful nation indeed in that region and uh, Nineveh was one of the key cities um, in the Assyrian Empire. Uh, what is it then that, 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 that is uh, concerning God? What is it he's, he's um, uh, seen? Well it says in verse 2, doesn't it, that this great evil it says has come up against uh, two gods, um, evil in the city. We're not, caught, we're not told exactly what that evil is, um, it just says that bad stuff is happening. So we can surmise that maybe it's violence, you know, the city is sort of dipped in violence. It's an oppressive place. Most likely there's great injustice being done, there's abuse being done. Most likely in the city of Nineveh, the rich are getting richer, the poor are getting poorer. And so God has decided 
to act. And, he, and, he, and he's giving that message through Jonah. Because that evil from that city has risen to such a level that God says no more. No more of this. But interestingly, he doesn't, uh, because it's so evil, doesn't, doesn't bring fire and brimstone down. You know, um, maybe if you're in that position, um, you might be tempted to bring a few fireballs or something. But he doesn't. He actually sends a prophet to preach a sermon. He, he, gives, a, he gives a message. Uh, he, he wants people to know before it's too late that there's mercy available for them. That there's a fix. There's something they can do if they turn to him. And so Jonah has been called, this is the calling, he's been called by God to be the messenger to this significant city in the country of Assyria. Bring this message of justice, God's anger against evil, but yet this message of mercy that he's willing to forgive and take back. And I think um, the reason I'm highlighting this this morning, particularly on today, is that I think that's our calling as the church in general. But I think it's our calling specifically at Foundation Church, that we, we are given a calling, we're given a message to go and bring to the world. And it starts here, it starts today. This message of God's justice, his hatred against evil and all that is wrong and sinful and messed up and oppressive and abusive, he hates that. And we bring in that message of God's hatred against that, his anger. But we're also bringing the message of God's mercy, his forgiveness, what he has done to undo the wrong that we've created. And it's a difficult calling, and we'll see that as Jonah uh, progresses and his behaviour is far from perfect. Um, but he's been given a difficult calling, and we've been given a difficult calling as Foundation Church. We want to speak, uh, we want to speak truth, we want to speak God's truth, we want to say this is not right when something is not right. We want to highlight problems when there are problems. But yeah, that's not it, because like Jonah, we're given a message of mercy, we want to say, well, God has done this. And, and we show that not just in our words, not just teaching people. We show that in our actions, in our love, in our compassion, serving the broken and the vulnerable, helping them to come find and follow Jesus. As a church, we want to teach the Bible, but as a church, we want to live the Bible. We want to live the truth of the Bible. It's not just words that we're memorizing, it's a life that we are being called to live. And so this is a really significant day for us at Foundation Church. We're, we're, we're seven years old as a church. You've probably never heard of us. We're still almost seven years old. Um, but it feels like a new birth right now for us. Just a new building, a, a new start in this new area. Um, we've been dotting around sort of, you know, East Belfast for a while. But um, uh, this feels like a place that we can call home. So we're so thankful. And as I mentioned earlier as well, if you are looking to, to join a church, you're looking for a church to be, belong to, uh, we'd love you to seriously think about joining us here at Foundation. Uh, but you have to know we're, we're given a calling. We're given a calling to speak about God's uh, justice, but also to demonstrate His mercy. So that's the call. All right? Um, but then we see in the story as it goes on in Jonah chapter 1, the runner. Jonah does a runner. Okay, he does what you should not do, but we all do it. Uh, let's, let's look at that. Jonah um, <clears throat> does a runner. He's given this clear message. He's told by God in verse 2 what to do. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call about it. Call it, call it you know, basically call it out, start preaching about my justice and my mercy. And what does Jonah do? It says in verse 3, he rose uh, to flee for, uh, to Tarshish in the, from the presence of the Lord. And again at the end of verse 3, he's trying to get away from the presence. They say it twice because he's so desperate to get away from God right now. Like anything but following God will do. And so rather than going sort of northeast 
towards Assyria and towards Nineveh. He goes southwest to the coast. He wants to get on a boat. He wants to go to Tarshish. We don't know exactly where Tarshish is. Uh, where maybe it's part of Italy, modern-day Italy, part of Spain. We're not sure, but it's far away from Israel where he is currently there. He wants to get away from the presence of God. All the prophets, pretty much, in the, in the Bible, uh, when they're given a message from God, whether they like it or not, they obey. Right, they do what they're told. Some feel unqualified, like Amos. He said, no, I'm, I'm just a, a working guy. I'm just a shepherd. You know, no one's going to listen to me. But he did it anyway. Some feel untalented, like Isaiah. You know, who am I? I? I can't speak. And yet he goes and obeys God anyway. Some think they're too young, like Jeremiah. They're not going to listen to me. I'm just a kid. But he goes and obeys anyway. But none do what Jonah did. He turned on his heel and went in the direct opposite direction to get away from God. He fled. He had this message from God. He'd heard enough. No way. I'm not following that. I'm not listening to that. I'm trying to get away from God. I'm trying to get away from the temple, which is kind of like the church. I'm trying to get away from the Bible. I'm trying to get away from God's people. And so he does a runner. Is he afraid, maybe, of standing up? Has he got stage fright? Possibly. But as, as the book of Jonah goes on, we realize there's something deeper in Jonah that makes him run. I'll give you a little preview. He didn't want God's mercy to be true, so he fled. And he invested money, he invested energy, he was determined to run away from God as hard and as fast as he possibly could in the opposite direction. <coughs> and as we were thinking at the start, if God, the God of the Bible, if he's a God of love and, 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 and life and goodness, and if he's a God who promises to bless his people and not harm them, then why does the prophet run away. Because he knows all that. Why does he run? And why do we run from mercy if we know these things to be true of God? Well, I can think of two main reasons why you and I, maybe people you know, might run hard away from God. Well, here's the first reason. I suppose we could call it the big picture. Uh, the big picture here, uh, the Bible paints us from beginning to end is that human beings were created in the image and the likeness of God, were created uh, to, to, to love and care for one another and to, 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 to bring great things out and build great things. Uh, but as human beings, the, the Bible says, we, 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 we screwed up at the start. All right? um, and, and so irrespective of, of, of your culture or, or your religion or your background or your heritage, we all do this. We have a natural inclination to run away from God. In Genesis 3, when this first appeared in the Bible, right at the start, um, it said that they disobeyed God's word after the first uh, humans, Adam and Eve. Uh, they disobeyed God's word. They took what they shouldn't have taken, which is a bit of fruit from a tree. Um, they, they ate it. They, 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 they failed the test. They sinned. And they messed up. And, and, and the Bible speaks about how God would, would be walking around in the garden, you know, uh, trying to find the man and the woman, so to speak. Uh, and, and there he is. And, and, and uh, they find the, the, the man and the woman hiding away, afraid of God. And God says, where are you? And Adam replies and says, well, I heard you. I heard the sound of you coming and I was afraid because I was naked and I was ashamed and I hid myself. See, our first parents way back in the garden, were trying to run away from God, trying to get away from him. They were created to know him, to enjoy him, as are we. And yet all of us, since them onwards, are infected with what they call the original sin. This inbuilt 
hardwired tendency to run away from God, to do our own thing rather than do what God says. It's in all of us. It comes out in a million different ways. That's the big picture. That's one of the reasons why we run for mercy. It's uh, kind of in us. It's like our DNA. But there's a deeper reason still, I think, that we run away from mercy. We run away from mercy, I think, more deeply, if, if we can say that, because we don't want mercy. Because to receive mercy, in any context, think about it, to receive mercy means acknowledging that God is right and I am wrong. Or it means acknowledging that I'm in a mess and I need help or I can't sort myself out. And that's one of the reasons why, a very deep reason, that we run away. It's like when someone's offered some life-saving surgery that's going to save their lives, but it's going to hurt. We fear the surgeon's knife, and in the same way, we fear the implications of mercy. We don't want it to cut deep, and we get the feeling that we're not going to like it, so we run. We'd rather just go and do life on our own, carrying some disease or other. Kind of like Jonah, we don't like the implications of what God says. I think to receive mercy, from my own experience anyway, to receive mercy, a part of us has to die. The disease bits have to come out, right? And that's painful. The wrong in me, the resistance to God, the rebelliousness, the sinfulness, all that has to go. We don't want it. We don't like it. We might be happy for God's word to be true in general, or to be true for other people. But I don't like it being true for this particular part of my life that I'm actually quite enjoying, thank you very much. Or for this relationship that I'm in that that isn't pleasing to God. Or this pattern of behaviour in my life that's in me. I want to keep that. And therefore I run away from mercy. So as we're listening, as we're reading this together, I wonder how you feel about that. Are you in a place in your life right now where you're sort of running away from God? Maybe you're investing great time and energy and money like Jonah. Maybe it's just something you're coming to realise. It's kind of like a passive thing. You've just been wandering. Maybe, like Jonah, you dislike the implications of God's claim, his call on your life. So I wonder, is God offering you mercy? Are you walking away from, from his mercy or are you walking towards it? So we've seen the call of God on the prophets and to the church. Uh, we've seen him doing a runner, running away from mercy. We thought about why that might be. Thirdly then, there's a storm. The whole story that we're about to, we've just read is dominated by this huge storm. In verse 4 it says, <clears throat> The Lord, but the Lord, hurled a great wind upon the sea and there was a mighty tempest, that's a storm, on the sea. So the ship threatened to break up. This is a serious storm, right? Um, not just a bit of choppy water like you might get as you're going over um, in the ferry. But uh, this is something that's going to break up this ship if they're not careful. And there's just so much drama in these words. There's so much noise. You've got these ferocious uh, winds howling. You've got these sails flapping, being torn to shreds on the mast. You've got the creaking and the bending and the cracking of wood as the boat flexed in the, in, in, in the, in the storm. Uh, you've got the cargo flying around, you've got people trying to stand upright, lashing themselves down, slipping and sliding, shouting above all the noise and the wind and the rain and the turmoil. 
But this is no ordinary storm. We know that because we're reading the narrative. Did the sailors know that? We, we don't know, but we know that this isn't a normal storm because it's in response to Jonah's disobedience. We see that in verse 4. Um, because because um, of what Jonah has done. The storm came up. <coughs> he goes on to recognise it himself actually in verse 12, doesn't he? He says, because of me, this great storm has come upon you. And so we've got the sailors frantic. There they are. They're hurling. They're hurling the, the cargo out. They're crying out to their gods. It's ironic actually that these um, sailors, they're not, they're not Jewish sailors. They're probably you know, from another country. They're outsiders. They're more spiritual and more believing than Jonah is. They're calling out to their gods. That's what they're doing. Save us. There's Jonah in verse 6. He's not doing any of that. <clears throat> He's keeping his head down, literally. Fast asleep, it says. This isn't just a regular nap in the middle of a terrifying storm. Uh, in the original language, in the Hebrew, this deep sleep or this fast asleep thing uh, I mean, is, is a deep heaviness. It's an it's a inner exhaustion as a means that you can sleep through a storm. It's almost like an anesthetic. You know, you're out cold. Uh, this exhaustion, this depression, probably from all of his running away from God. And so we've got the sailors looking up to the heavens for help. You've got Jonah sinking into himself, trying to find solace there. <coughs> it's interesting, these two reactions, isn't it, in the storm? How they handle the situation. And I think this is very instructive for us as, as people sitting, looking at these words and thinking about these things. Um, this, is, this, is, this is something I think this is really teaching us. How, how you respond in the middle of a storm will tell you what you depend on to save you. How you respond in the middle of a storm will tell you what you depend on to save you. Even if you're non-religious, or you hear it quite frequently, uh, non-religious people who don't attend church, don't pray, don't do anything like that, if they're in uh, serious diffs, if someone's very ill, or maybe they're in some sort of ter terrible traumatic circumstances, quite often, not always, but quite often, you will hear people who have never prayed, never gone to church, saying, I prayed to God that day, when I thought I was going to die, when I thought I was going to lose my loved one. I prayed, I called out to God, and I said, God, if you are there, if you are really there, then help me. If you can hear me, then answer my prayer. You hear that. You hear that from religious people. And here we have the sailors, similarly, crying out to their gods. Anyone, anything that may or may not be hearing me that might be up there, I'll take your help right now. And they said in verse 5, everyone, just go, go to his own god. That's where their hope was. And something up there, something out there that might or might not be helping me. I'll, I'll, I'll give it a go. And as we've seen here, Jonah, he, he, he turns inwards. Right? He... he he goes it on his own. Uh, he, he looks for some sort of inner strength, something to cling on to there. He's shutting himself off from every, everyone else around him. And he found nothing. So he sank even deeper and deeper. Became depressed, most likely. He became suicidal. In verse 12. Pick me up, he says, and hurl me into the sea. That's not a statement of faith in God, or God's going to save me, not, not at all. He said that because he was just dumb. He was in despair. What does it matter? No one's going to miss me. Throw me in. We, 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 we use other techniques, don't we, today, to deal with the storm. 
How you respond to the storm will tell you what you depend on. Some of us use food, either overeating for comfort or undereating for control. Some of us use alcohol, drugs, either prescription or recreational, anything to find hope, right? Anything to get peace, anything to switch off. For other people, it might be various psychological mechanisms, obsessions, compulsions, controlling. Just thinking, if I could just control this little thing here, that gives me a sense of peace in the storm. For others, it's overworking. We all have different ways, right, of, of, of trying to control the storm, trying to survive the storm. We see it in the sailors, we see it in Jonah. But how you respond in the middle of a storm will show you what you depend on to save you. That's your God. What you go to for help, that's your God. So I guess we need to ask ourselves this morning, can that thing actually help, help you? Can it hold you up? Um, does it have the strength and power to save you? Or ultimately, is it just going to drag you even deeper into the, into the storm? And we're here to say this morning, without a shadow of a doubt, that God's message to you is that only Jesus can help you in the storm. So maybe you're experiencing a storm in your life right now, in, in some form or other. Maybe others around you know about that. Maybe others don't know about that. I'm sure we've all got people that we work with or in our families that are going through some sort of storm. It just happens. It's part of life. And perhaps you're here, particularly now, and this is really hitting, hitting home. Your wave, the waves of the storm are looming over your head. In some situation, or maybe in some, for some of you, the, the, the waves are threatening to break you into pieces, like the boat. Maybe you're sitting here this morning and, and you see nothing but grey sky and darkness. <coughs> well, hear this. This is the message of the gospel. In the middle of the storm, mercy is available. In the middle of the storm, mercy is available. That takes us to the final part then, the calm. Verse 7 and 8. Um, <clears throat> they're asking who's to blame for all this. They, I think the sailors, whether they're just superstitious or sort of religious or whatever, I don't know, but um, they know that this is not just a normal storm. They know something's going on, right? Something funky about this storm here. And so they're asking who's to blame. And so they, identify, they get these lots out, you know, little sticks or something, and you, know, you pick a stick. And the shortest one goes to, goes to Jonah. He's been identified by the, the lots. You wonder how they had time to do that in the middle of the storm. Anyway, they did. They got away with it. Uh, maybe the stormproof uh, lots or something like that. Anyway, they figured out it was Jonah. And Jonah discloses, yes, you're right. He holds his hands up. He fesses up. It was me. Uh, he says, yes, you're right. I follow the God of the heavens, the supreme God, the one who made the sea and the dry land. He's my God. And the, the, the sailors are like, what have you done? How have you offended this God so much that you're about to threaten this entire boat full of seafarers? What is this you have done, they say in verse 10? What can we do to you in verse 11 to make this stop? Because it said the sea grew more and more... It's almost like all this, all this conversation going on, and the more they went on, the worse and worse the storm was getting. It's not going to go away on its own. It's just getting worse. What have you done? In verse 12, as we've seen... Jonah says, pick me up, 
hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. It is because of me this great tempest has come upon you. And so they, they say another quick prayer and they say to God, the Lord, the Lord of Israel, Yahweh, they say, don't hold us guilty. It's what he wants. He's the guy. You're, you're angry at him. We're going to do what he says, but don't hold us guilty. And so in verse 15, it says, they hurl him into the sea. And what happens? The sea ceases from all of its raging. All became calm. Probably pretty quickly. It was quiet. There was peace. Everyone could just take a breath, looking at each other. What has just happened? See, in the middle of the storm, mercy is available. In the storm, you see, they saw the anger of God against Jonah's sin. But in the storm, they also saw the mercy of God to save the sailors. The storm subsided. One man was sacrificed so that many may be saved. When Jonah went in, God's anger was put away. And it says that the the sailors in verse 16, uh, after this happened, after they saw God's anger and his mercy, it says they feared the Lord exceedingly. That That means they worshipped him greatly. As if they offered a sacrifice, it's amazing, they managed to do that on the boat, they offered a sacrifice, they made vows, they made promises, I'm going to follow you, I'm going to worship you, I'm going to obey you, I'm going to live for you. That's what happens when they saw God's mercy. So as we think about this together, we need to ask ourselves, is this mercy available for me? Is it available for you today? And if so, how, how, how can we get it? How, 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 can we, how, can we, how can God be angry against my sin, but how can he also give me mercy? How can he step into the storm and save me? And whether the storm is of your own making, or whether in part your own making, or whether you're just an innocent bystander, how do I know that God wants to show me mercy? How can you be guaranteed that this is for you today? How do you know God wants to save you and not just other people or other types of people? Well, the answer is when we look beyond Jonah and we look into the cross of Jesus. We look at the person of Jesus. Because when we look at the cross of Jesus, the stand at the centre of the Christian faith, we see that the wrath, the anger of God against sin and the mercy of God come together in the cross of Jesus. That's how we know. Because you see, on the cross, Jesus was a truly innocent man who gave his life. He died so that many can go free. On the cross, Christ was, was hurled into the storm so that the rest of us sitting in the boat can know peace. Jonah said to the sailors, this great storm came upon you because of me. On the cross, Jesus said, this great storm came onto me because of you. See, on the cross, when Jesus died, 
He entered the storm. He took the storm. He walked into it. He bore the anger of God, the just anger of God that should have been for you and should have been for me. He went into the storm willingly so that you could be saved, plucked out of yours, so that you could receive God's mercy. And this is the gospel, right? This is the good news. God's anger ceased against our sin because Jesus took it for us. The raging ceased. Peace came. That's what happens. And so when you look at Jesus, when you understand something of the cross, and when you understand what he did for you, and you trust that actually that stuff that he did on the cross that day was actually for you, you were in his heart. But when you, when, you, when, you, when you get that, when it clicks, the storm, like the ultimate storm between you and God, because of you've been running away from him, and so have I, that storm will cease instantly. There will be peace. Your darkness will turn to day. That's yours, that's yours when you trust Jesus and his word and his power to save you. And then, you know what happens? After that, he will give you power to deal with other storms in life that come your way. The big one has been dealt with between you and God. Other storms that come along your way, you have power. You receive mercy. You know now that Christ can deal with every storm. Lastly, before we close out here, just look with me at the sailors towards the end of verse 16. <clears throat> when, it says, when they saw the anger of God and the mercy of God playing out in front of them, when they, effectively, when they saw the gospel, you see what they did? We've, we've covered this already. It says, they feared the Lord exceedingly and they worshipped him with great devotion. In other words, they were awestruck when they understood what God had done. You see, when you understand the gospel, and when you see what Jesus has done for you, you will stop running. And instead you'll turn and you'll give your life to him. You'll give him your all. And when you do that, you will start to worship him, as it says there, exceedingly. With everything you have, when you realize what he's done for you, you'll say, God save me from the storm. I couldn't save myself. I am his. He, he, he owns my life. He restored my life. Everything I have is his. I owe him everything in exceeding worship. I want to live for him. That's what you'll say. So my question to you this morning is, do you need rescue? Do you crave for this peace that only comes through the cross of Jesus? Well, the good news is that mercy is available for you right now at the cross of Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Do you want to stand? Let's stand together. Let's pray together. Maybe you want to use these words for your own. I'll, I'll read them slowly. And if you want to respond somehow to what we've been saying, but you just don't know how, you can take these words for your own. And I'll, I'll sort of go through slowly. And you can pause. You can repeat them in your mind if you want. You can say a quiet amen as we go through. Whatever it is. But you can take these words for yourself as we respond.
to what we've just been thinking. Let's pray. Father, we have learned today that you hate sin and you are moved by our distress. We thank you that you have finally and fully dealt with all that at the cross of Jesus. We thank you, Jesus, for willingly going through the greatest storm of God's anger for us so that we can receive mercy and peace. Help us, Holy Spirit, to see Jesus clearly. Help us to call out to him in faith and say, save me, Jesus. Help us to experience and know that salvation. My Holy Spirit, we ask that you would grant that peace, grant that hope, particularly for those of us who are experiencing a storm right now. We know that you can save us in the deepest, darkest hole that we can ever get ourselves into. Teach us to worship you exceedingly with all that we have, because you are worth it. We thank you, Jesus. Amen.